there are certain choices that we make followed by expectations of what the result of those choices will be. And you expect those things to happen because you think it's just common sense. Then you see some folks who make decisions and you just think, in your mind, what were you thinking? Because they're surprised at what the consequence turns out to be. And you just you think it's common sense. Therefore, then you have to give them a warning. And this morning, I want to share with you some actual warnings, some really amazing warnings that you would think are common sense, but these are actual warnings on products. Now, the first one is not so amazing what the warning is. It's the amazing how the warning was given and the people who wrote it. You want to say to them, what were you thinking? This is on a bottle of drain cleaner. It says this. If you do not understand or cannot read all the directions and cautions and warnings, don't use this product. This is on this is on a blanket on a blanket from Taiwan not to be used as protection from a tornado This is on a fireplace log caution risk of fire This is on a pair of shin guards manufactured for bicyclists Shin pads cannot protect any part of the body they do not cover. This is on an electric router that carpenters use. This product not intended for use as a dental drill. (laughs) This is on an American Airlines packet of nuts. Instructions, open packet. Eat nuts. Huh? Now listen to this one carefully. It's on a string of Chinese-made Christmas lights. For indoor or outdoor use only. This is on Nightall Nighttime Sleep Aid. Warning, may cause drowsiness. This is on a can of self-defense pepper spray. May irritate eyes. Uh, This one is on a helmet-mounted mirror. Remember, objects in the mirror are actually behind you. And this one is on a novelty rock garden. Eating rocks may lead to broken teeth. So please excuse me this morning if you sense that this is rather simplistic and is common sense, but I need to give you a warning this morning, and the warning is simply this. When succeeding, expect opposition. It's just going to happen. As you are coming out of this loss that we've been talking about, as you are proceeding out of it, understand that you will find opposition. I appreciate the words of Andy Stanley in his book, Visioneering. He writes this, When someone catches a vision for bettering himself, his vision is often met with criticism from the people closest to him. Why? 
because those who have no vision for their own freedom feel threatened by those who have decided to get up and do something with themselves. Maybe your vision is causing someone around you to feel as if he or she is losing control. Your vision may play to the insecurity of those who are in authority over you, so they open fire in an attempt to bring you back down to their level. It will happen. So Ezra, who's been our narrator through this story, raises his hand and says, ooh, 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 that's happening right here, right now. See, it's been 70 years, 70 years of loss that these people from Judah, from Jerusalem, have, have been kidnapped and taken from their land and moved to a place called Babylon. Now the Persian Empire has overtaken that empire. And for 70 years, these folks have, have lost their property. They have lost their land. They have lost family. They have lost friends. They've lost culture. They have lost worship. They have lost reason for existence. They are heartbroken. And then the most amazing thing happens as we've been studying this for the last couple of weeks. And if you've not been with us, I invite you to go to our website and download the podcast and and get caught up with us because you'll see what we're talking about. Cyrus, king of Persia, whose predecessors had been responsible for the destruction and the loss of Israel's fortunes. And suddenly this, this, this king, this, this guy that, that is the, the most important king in the world at that moment, stands before these people after their 70 years of captivity and says, your Jehovah God, whom I don't worship, has come to me and told me I'm responsible to go back and rebuild what was destroyed before and specifically the temple. And therefore, I'm wanting you to go back and I will give you the resources. You go back and build. And they go, this is incredible. This is a God thing. This is a God movement. And so they go. They have just completed the foundation of the temple when the alarm lights go on and the warning comes out, when succeeding, expect opposition because here it comes. And Ezra describes it in Ezra, the fourth chapter. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin had heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the head of the families and said, Let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Shardon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Yeshua and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. Now, when you're coming out of your loss, don't be surprised that you have enemies. In fact, the word that he uses here is the Hebrew word tesar. And I want to describe it to you by giving you an example. And, and Jim Renner, come stand by me. Jim didn't know he was going to do this, and neither do the other people I'm going to call on in just a moment. <laughs> so, so, so Jim's coming out of his loss. And, he's, he's, and, and God is, is a, is, he's walking with God, and things are going well. And then I just need that roll right there. Come on over here. Yeah. Okay, I, I want you to just crowd around Jim. Just kind of circle around him. Give somebody in front there. Okay. Now, as Jim moves forward, I want you to just press in on him. Press. Press in on him and, and, and keep him from moving. Okay. Jim, try to move. You're a Marine. You can do better. <laughs> no, I really don't. Okay. Go ahead and sit back down. Here's the deal. Here's what it means. It means to narrow 
and to crowd. Your enemy will move in on your life, and while you're trying to achieve your freedom and regain what you have lost, your enemies will move in close to you. They will narrow down the way, and they will become an obstruction to you so that you cannot move ahead. So how do you burst out of that? How do you get free from that? Well, what you don't do is you don't fight fire with fire and, and, and you, you, don't, you don't leave your integrity behind. But what you've got to do is that you've got to do what is right. You've got to keep integrity in your journey. So how do you do that? I hold in my hand a travel document. It represents a ticket that I have waiting for me to fly to Springfield, Missouri. Because I'm going to be going to Springfield, Missouri in a little while to go celebrate my father's 80th birthday. And so I'm excited about that. Now, what's really great about this ticket is the way we got it. Pam and I were flying to a gathering in Colorado, had stopped in Chicago to fly out of Chicago, was standing in line at the, at the counter to see if I could get better seats for us. And while I was standing there, I heard the lady behind the desk say to the person in front of me, we're looking for volunteers. I stepped over. I said, what are you looking for? They said, we need a couple people that would, would be bumped. I said, what happens if I get bumped? Where are you going? I'm going to, to Denver. Okay, if you're going to Denver, we will fly you out of here two hours later. I said, that's not bad. And we will put you in first class. That's not bad. And we will give you two free tickets anywhere in the United States. That's not bad. They put us in first class, and it wasn't just first class seats. It was the whole pod thing that they're creating now. You get this whole space to yourself. You can recline back. You've got your own TV. It was wonderful. In fact, it was so good. When we landed in Denver, Pam said, can we just stay on this plane and go wherever it's going? Because this is so nice. So I didn't waste any time because, you see, when my mom had called me and said, your father's 80th birthday is coming up. We're going to celebrate. Here's when we're going to do that. Can you come? I said, Mom, I'd love to. I can probably get the time, but I, I don't have it in the budget. Dave Ramsey says, I don't have it. So I can't come. And she said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I really want to come, and, and we'll ask God to provide a way. So as soon as I could, I got, I, I, I got to the computer. I started checking some things, and I called United Airlines. And I said, I have this free, free ticket. They said, okay. Now, when they said, where do you want to go? I didn't say to them, well, where do you think I should go? Because you know all well the places. What would be cool? And when they said, when do you want to go? I didn't say, well, when do you think it was the best time? Because you see, I already had a purpose. I have a why. Why am I doing this? The purpose is that I, that I, I have this, this passion. I have this why, this passion to, to, to want to be with my father. I want to honor him. I want to celebrate his birthday. I want to always honor my father. So I have this passion. It is my why. I also have a what. The what is the next step I'll take in honoring him, which is the fact that they're going to celebrate his birthday, so I need to get there. So the why is my passion. I said, I need to get to Springfield on this date, and this is the what. Can you get me there? And they said, yes. Now, if one of you comes up to me and says, hey, I've got tickets to the Cleveland Indians to a suite a double header all day long, all the food you can eat, do you want to go? I would more than likely try as best as I could to get there, except if it's on the same day that I'm supposed to be in Springfield, Missouri, celebrating my father's birthday, I will have to tell you that my passion 
for my father is greater than my passion for the Cleveland Indians baseball team, especially since they just traded away everybody in the world on their team. If you come up to me and say, hey, on this date, which happens to be the date that I'm celebrating my father's birthday, you say to me, we have found, excuse me, we have found the world's greatest Mexican chef. And he's coming into to Erie and he's going to prepare a meal. Do you want to go? Oh, see. But here's the problem. My passion for my father is greater than my passion for that Mexican food. Therefore, the, the passion always dictates the purpose. The why always dictates the what. Why and what filter all invitations. So you're thinking, should I go to trade school or should I go to Penn State Barron? My question to you is, what is your passion? What is the why? Because the why dictates the what. It will determine what you should do. You say, should I date this person and get serious? Well, my question to you is, what is your passion? What is your why? And does that why line up with the why on the other person? Because it will determine what. Should I go into business with her? Well, my question to you is, what is your passion? What is your why? Because that will determine the what. In fact, the psalmist David gives us this wisdom. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. Let me break that down for us. The steps of a good man, the word good man actually means a noble warrior, a valiant warrior, and in this context, a valiant warrior of truth or a valiant warrior of what is right. A person who is determined to do what God says is right, his steps, the next what... The thing that, you, that follows the passion, because the passion is the truth. The passion is the rightness of God. That is the passion. And now the step is the what? What is the next thing that I'm supposed to do? In the base of that word, we get the word companion. So it's not only what I'm going to do, but it's with whom I am doing it. Now, the person who has in their heart a passion... For the rightness of God and the truth of God and takes a step according to that passion, the why dictating the what, he said the Lord will take his steps and it literally means will stand them up. They will not budge. They will be firm. In fact, it says the Lord will delight and it means he will bend down next to you and commune with you and give you his favor. See, I used to think this was, God will tell me where to go, and I'll, it'll be perfect. But I'm becoming convinced it is that God says, if your passion for me is, is right, and it is for me, and you're asking for my wisdom, whatever step you take, I will make it be upheld. That you will make some choices, and I will uphold those because you're walking in the right direction. And I will give you that joy of making right choices. So as you take that first step, that what, that is always having to dictate how you will respond to the God around you because I'm either moving more toward God or away from God, but I'm doing one or the other. I am not, I am not in a, in a timeout. I am not Zach Morris and saved by the bell. 
I can't turn to the camera and say, time out, and everything freezes. So whatever I do today will dictate whether I'm getting closer to God or farther away. Whether you're listening to me right now and focusing on God or texting dictates whether you're closer to God or farther away. What you watched last night on television dictates whether you're closer to God or farther away. What movie you see this week will dictate closer to God or farther away. The people you are with this week will dictate closer to God or farther away. How you are in your sexuality this week will dictate closer to God or farther away. The why is our passion for right. God, this is what I, I want. I want, I, want to, I want the rightness of what you have. And the what is the step closer to God? God, I'm going to get closer to you. So, because of that, who we walk with dictates how well we do that. In 1978, when the British firefighters went on strike, the army was called in to do all the duties of the firefighters. And while that was happening, there was a call that came in that a cat was stuck in a tree. So these replacements got on their trucks, rushed to the scene, put a ladder up on the tree, got the cat successfully out of the tree, handed the cat to the cat's owner, and she was just so pleased that she invited them in for a spot of tea. And so they came in for a spot of tea, and they enjoyed themselves, and then... They, they said their goodbyes and they piled into their truck and they backed the truck over, backed the truck up and ran over the cat. They killed the cat. So now, do you define that as a successful rescue mission? You do if you don't like cats, but. When the northern tribes of Israel had turned their back on God and had worshipped idols. God had warned them that someone was going to come and take them from their land and there would be a tremendous loss and it would be the Assyrians and so that's what happened. The Assyrians came. When the Assyrians took them away, they did not leave the land empty but they brought in replacements from Mesopotamia and Syria. Now you see, they had already stripped the land of, of one worship of one God because they'd worshipped idols there. And, in, and if that wasn't bad enough, now these coming in brought new gods, new worship. The syncretism permeated for 70 years this land, this worship of many, many gods. So when these people came to Zerubbabel and Yeshua and said, we want to help you build your temple because we also worship Jehovah God. They weren't lying. They do. But he was many, one of many they worshipped. And the problem with that is that, that their passion, their why, was not the same as the why and the passion of those who had come back from Babylon. The why did not match up. And therefore, if the why does not match up, the what will not match up. If they use these replacements, sooner or later, the replacements are going to run over the cat. They're going to destroy the worship. They are not monotheistic. They are not worshiping one God. They're polytheistic. They worship many gods. And so what they would do is they would do their best to either confuse the process of building the temple or once it was built, they would then infiltrate it and dilute the worship. No matter how exciting the friendship offered, 
no matter how valuable the resource is given, no matter how fearful you are of the threats that come, there must be a stance that is taken as you're coming out of your losses that simply says, as they did, you will have no part with us here because our passions are not the same. Now, you can come worship here, but you cannot help us build this. Because your enemy is going to come to you as you're trying to come out of your losses, and they're going to try to, to try to dilute what you're doing. They're going to try to take your passion and dilute that. Or they're going to threaten you. They're going to intimidate you and say, if you act this way and live this way, you can't be our friend. If you act this way, you'll be cut out of the will. If you act this way, no one's going to hang out with you. And at that moment, you've got to decide, is your passion worth living and dying for? Because your passion always dictates your purpose. The why always dictates the what. And when you get to that place, the what may only be the next step. You don't know what the next steps are. In fact, it brings fear to you. But if your passion is directed toward doing what is right, following God, following Jesus, you've got to come to the place that you trust that every step will be held upright for the steps of a person who is valiant for the rightness of God his steps will be held upright see those people who come to be part of you that are not the ones who have the same passion are only are only acting in motion they're they're only just showing something that that, that that going through the motions, they're not really, really having the passion. It will dilute who you are. Thomas Merton wrote, My Lord, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't see the road ahead of me, and I cannot know for certain where it will end. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know, that I may know nothing about it, Therefore, I will trust you, though I may seem to be lost. And in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. This might hurt, it's not safe. But I know that I've got to make a change I don't care if I break At least I'll be feeling something It's just okay, it's not enough Help me fight through the nothingness of life
And so Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, they must take up their cross and follow me. It starts with that passion. It starts with, with the why, and it brings us to the what. It's not going through the motions, but there is motion after the passion has been established. That if we're going to overcome the fear that comes because there are those who resist us, if we're going to overcome the, the, the anxiety that comes with what if, then we must be sold on the fact that there is one who said, I will take care of your steps. And now we need to take the steps. Not just in our own strength, but we have to labor in our inheritance. My son, Chad, was talking to us these last months and he's making a change in life for himself. And it's because that when he was a junior in college working on his art degree, he was hired out of college and began 3D work for a company and, and grew in his abilities with, with 3D uh, characters and, and 3D animation and also began doing some illustrating. And, and so in these last months, he says, Dad, I'm realizing that I want to go deeper in this thing. And, and I realized that because I left school so early and didn't finish up, there's some things that, that I need to be doing that are basics that I'm forgetting. So I'm going to go back to school, finish my degree, and finish my art degree and my illustrating degree because I want to get better at this and I want to hammer in the basics, the fundamentals, so that I'm a better artist. And so that's what he's going to do this fall. Some of the things I'm about to tell you, you've heard me say before, but I want to bring you back to the basics. I want to do some remedial teaching at this moment because it is so vital because I'm afraid we forget it. When, when the enemy comes and pushes in, when he narrows down what we think we can do and we begin to restrict our freedom, we need to remember what I'm about to tell you. Years before Cyrus championed the cause of this temple being built, even before 70 years previous that they were ushered out of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, there's this prophet named Isaiah who declared, because of your sin, you will lose everything and you will be ushered out by the Babylonian Empire. But the time will come 70 years later that you will come back and everything you've lost will be restored. I want you to hear his words, Isaiah, the 49th chapter. It says this. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign and circle that, reassign its desolate inheritance to say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. When they would return, they would discover that all the property they had previously owned and was supposed to be part of their family's heritage, their inheritance, had now new landowners. How were they going to get that back? The priest would come back and find out that all the rituals that needed to be happening for worship in that temple had been forgotten, in fact, resisted. And the support for the temple and support for the priestly caste was not there any longer. How would they get that back? The prophecy said that this was a desolate inheritance, that word desolate 
means that it is feeble, it is weak, that that which we thought we were going to have. And some of you have done that. You said, okay, God has an inheritance for me. And then you started through and the, and the enemy has come against you and, and the resources don't seem to be there or the support doesn't seem to be there and your inheritance seems feeble. It seems like, oh, it's not very strong. I'm just going to have to give up on this. Isaiah said, I want you to understand that God is telling you that he's going to reassign, he's going to reinherit that which you thought was lost, that that which he told you you would have, you will have. What you lost will be returned to you, and now the moment of truth has come. Do you believe? And here's what happened. As they were building this temple, Ezra records in Ezra 4, verse Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Those who had been living there for 70 years now come to them and they narrow in on them and they squeeze them in and restrict their freedom. They begin to discourage them, and that word discourage actually means to make the hands weak, to get really feeble. And some of you have found yourselves that you're trying to get back what you thought you've lost and you thought that God gave you that promise. You've come to that place that your hands are weak and you just feel so weak. God promised, but nothing's happening. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? I'm, I don't know what. I'm just going to come to church and, and complain. God. And people try to get you out of it, and your identity has become your complaining. Oh, did I tell you what happened this week to my car? And it's just this whiny, 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 whiny thing because your hands are weak. Because it's wave after wave after wave, and we all get there. I once said to a friend, we were talking on the phone, and I said, oh, things are really tough. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm being a baby. And he stopped me. He said, oh, yes, you are. I said, we've got a bad connection. I've got to go. <laughs> wave after wave. And not only that, but not only did they, they make their hands weak, but then they threatened them. The word actually means to be terrified as if a huge army is attacking and you have no way to defend yourself. That horror. <gasps> that is the feeling they had. They sent in counselors, covert counselors, who were there to, to work against them. And the word work against them actually means to push against. So you're trying to move forward, and they're, they're just keen to push against you so that you can't budge. To frustrate the plans actually means to break apart the momentum. That you get moving, and suddenly you've got to stop again. And you move over here, and then you've got to stop again. And you move over here, and you've got to stop again. And you thought that what you were going to gain back was going to just be so easy and there's this resistance and you go, where is God in all of this? My son Chad, I just talked to you about, has this great, this, this great answer on his phone when you call and you can't get him. I, I want you to hear, you listen real carefully and you'll you hear why I, why I like this. This is Chad, when you call him. Uh, 
but it was previously too long. So this time, it won't quite be as... At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. To leave a callback number, press 5. Did you ever feel like there's always somebody there to stop you before you got finished? Did you hear that? If you didn't understand that, ask somebody later. But here's the deal. Although it seems as if what they have started no longer can be achieved, you know what they say to these guys? They say, look, we're going to keep working. And even through this king and other kings, no matter what you do, we're going to work our way through this thing because Jehovah God said we got to do this. It comes down to this. What is your passion? Therefore, what is your purpose? What is the step? And if that is the purpose, then what is his promise regarding your purpose? Your passion, your purpose, his promise. You say, but that was a great promise for them that he would give them the inheritance back. Paul the apostle takes that promise and puts it in your lap. For this is what he says to us in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. The same exact prophetic words. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That word grace means that his inheritance is activated in you. What you need for the path you're on, he says, I give you because that inheritance is simply his presence. That inheritance is his ability. That inheritance are his resources. Folks, listen to me. If we're going to become what God has designed for us to be, it's got to be more than coming in here and saying, oh, fill me up, God, and then leaving and going someplace else for the week and coming back and saying, fill me up, God. It has got to be us saying, God, I have a passion to do what is right for you, and I'm going to take these steps because I think these are the steps you want me to take, and I'm going to believe that as I do that, the inheritance that you said you released for today is the day of salvation will be poured into my life. I will have your resources. I will have your passion. I will have your presence. I will have the abilities that I need to accomplish this thing. It's just not going to happen for me. You are going to use me, and I'm going to take those steps. And so I want to give you two things that I want to encourage you to do, two actions. The first is this. Declare this is what God promised. Quote his words. Zerubbabel says, God said this, therefore we're going to do this. So what is your passion and what is the resistance? Or now, quote what God says about the resistance. My God shall supply all my needs. By your stripes, I am healed. Contentment with godliness is great gain. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all impurity. When you quote his words... It lodges in your spirit and it divides in this heavenly realms what is truth and what is lie. And it builds your faith. You just can't sit there and go, I'm just waiting for God to show up because I've been doing this for 70 years and my God, nothing's going on. 
You've got to say, God's word said this thing. I was looking it up the other day, and he said this according to this. And, I, and so I'm quoting it, and I'm saying it out loud so the spiritual realms will understand what I'm saying. Because what I say and what I say about God disrupts the atmosphere around me and creates the environment for what I want to grow there. Now, if I want to grow a deadly life, I'm just kind of wine. If I want a God life, I quote his words. And some of you, the only words you know are what you heard from your grandmother. You need to know what these words say because it is your lifeline. The scripture says that those words are living. They're called rhema words coming from the logos, which means the full expression of God. And the rhema is what has to do with you right now for today is your day of salvation. Not only declare the words, but act on the keys. You got to do some stepping. You can quote all you want, but if you don't budge, God can't do anything. So here's the deal. You say, yeah, I'm quoting words about my finances. Great. Quote them. But you've got to take some steps, which could be for you tithing, because tithing declares who's Lord of your finances. In fact, the scripture says, if you're supposed to give something to God and you don't, you caused a curse on yourself. You're going in reverse action. Say, I can't afford to tithe. Well, God normally says, you put out the faith, I'll give you the result. He doesn't say, I'll give you the result first, and then, by the way, pay me back. So he says, you tithe. You bring the first fruits. You heard that story last week that she brought first fruits. First fruits are the first thing of a blessing that comes your way. And you take the first part of it and you bring it in and say, this is the seed for future growth, for a great harvest. Now pray over that thing. So you act on first fruits. Given it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. You're praying for finances? Do something. You're praying that you don't feel alone? Then serve. Because Jesus said, watch me wash these feet, and if you wash feet like I wash feet, you will be blessed or you will be happy because you won't be alone. You just feel all alone? Go find some place to serve. You'll find that all of a sudden you have all the love you can handle. You've got to do something. You feel overwhelmed with your schedule and out of time and exhausted? Then you've got to act on worship. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden down and I'll give you rest. You come to worship and you let God just breathe in you. You start working out the Sabbath principle, which is there is a day set aside for God where you do not work because you're not created to work seven days a week. You can't pray, oh God, give me strength when you're killing yourself at work. You've got to act on it. And in doing so, your enemy cannot press in on you because God said, I will hold your steps firmly. You see, his words become your words. And his presence keeps reminding you that he is with you.
stand. I'll take it out there. Would you stand? In just a moment, I'm going to have the worship team take us through a song we already sang this morning. It's a song of declaration. And if you're finding yourself squeezed, you're finding the enemy is moving in, you're finding that you're at a standstill, then I'm going to encourage you right now to do two things. This is your time to declare and determine. You declare who he is and what he's doing. Declare his words that you know. You may have even seen some on the screen just now and say, yeah, th- those ones. Declare that and determine what your next step will be because you just can't stand there. You've got to move as God's telling you to move. What is the next step you need to take? And determine that. And after we've sung through this, as you're doing that, then I'll come back up. I'll dismiss this and you'll be on your way with a new insight and a new movement. So now, declare and determine.
So now may you discover that as you have been seeking him and endeavoring to follow him with your whole heart, that your steps have been made steadfast and upright. May the deception and the dilution of your faith now cease and may you find you have been strengthened by your inheritance of presence and ability and resource. May you walk out of here as a mighty warrior filled full of the holy presence of the Almighty, the captain of the Lord's army. May you know that when you speak, you speak his words. And when you pray, you pray his strength and his power. And may you not shrink in any way, but may you stand strong and tall and move according to his power. And you will see that which you have lost now in your hands come to pass because he said it shall shall be that way. Now go with courage. Go in faith. Go in joy. And rest in the might and the power of the resurrected Son of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.